1: So, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 225 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. All right. So, um, last week we had... We only had one fact-check fact check thing that I could think of, and we were talking about Mike Myers in context of what, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe? Uh, oh, no, the, the, the Jaime was talking about him saying he was from, I'm from Dublin, but I'm not really from Dublin. Yeah,
0: yeah in, a, in a Saturday Night Live bit where it turns out he was making
1: fun of uh, MTV's The Real World. Yeah, that was a very painful, painful little vignette to watch, by the way. Um, I'd forgotten how bad Saturday Night Live was for a while there. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it turns out he's, I was watching an interview with him uh, last week when I was recapping some some things on um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as a matter of fact I was watching some things about the uh, cast of characters but he uh, apparently is was born in Liverpool even though he was he, was, he grew up in uh, Toronto, Ontario actually in Scarborough uh, which is a, a suburb of Toronto so yeah so that's a surprising fact about Mike Myers so. there you
2: go speaking yeah. of Liverpool Paul McCartney's on tour again
1: uh, yeah, is he? well he's hmm. gonna be
2: he just announced it oh really okay coming that's to San Jose good. in July so it's a, it's yeah, a well off
1: yeah he's a bucket list guy for sure yep but like, but like I mean I mean, talk about breaking the bank to go buy a ticket for that show, eh? Yeah, it could be expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Egypt Station is
0: pretty good on uh, his new album on or new-ish yeah. album on Apple Music. Uh, yeah. If Gregory Archibald Hio is listening to this episode, I know that he's been talking on Twitter about joining the ranks of Apple Music subscribers. So this one's for you, really? Gregory. Oh,
1: there you go. Hmm. Yes, yes. No comment on that one. Um, do we have any Ask MTJC? I didn't check, Jaime. Huh, I didn't see any when I looked. Oh, um, again. for from Mike H- Mike Handley, um, this ask him t- this shortcut will bypass some paywalls. It's got this little uh, link to routinehub. dot I guess. Uh, let's see what it says. Oh, it's a shortcut, I guess for for uh, for Apple shortcuts. Well, that's nice. That's cool. Let's try that one out. So I guess we'll make that a pick as well, right? <laughs> no comment, Jaime. No, I, that,
0: <laughs> I didn't have anything insightful to add to
1: that one. Right, right. Well, thanks again for that, Mike. Um, and you're welcome in advance of thanking us again for putting you on the show. Uh, so yeah, so. So in our follow-up items, I've got one here. Um, well, it's uh, looking at the the stats on mixed panel and uh, looking at the. I found a new stat. I think we're talking about underscore David Smith, uh, his website. He also has iOS version versioning information. Um, but uh, what was interesting to me was the the adoption of the iPhone XS and the iPhone XR uh, adoption are lower than models were last year. And uh, so it's interesting. They've got some some mixed panel charts here, but uh, it's much more illuminating on the David. Smith.org link that I have here. Um, I was looking particularly at adoptions for the various uh, iOS versions, but if you scroll down, uh, they have device breakdowns, and the iPhone breakdown. And this is based. This is as of like you know a couple of days ago. Uh, the iPhone 6s is, is probably the most popular phone at 15%, and iPhone 7 right behind that. But if you look at the iPhone 10R, uh, it's around 1% of the all iPhones out there, I guess, and that are collecting are collected in these stats. And then the iPhone. 10 and uh, 10S are, are quite a bit lower. Did you guys have a look at those? It's
2: called Device Breakdowns, or the subtitle also called Device Breakdowns?
0: Yeah, if you search for that phrase, iPhone Breakdown, parenthesis, sort it by adoption. There's a pie chart that I see the iPhone 10r XR 1% on there. Ah, so what's the one above? What's the device breakdown? Oh, that includes iPads. That includes everything, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah there's I all know,
0: sorts okay, of I breakdowns. When, when Tim had shared this as being a iOS adoption one, I said, oh, uh, iPhones move pretty pretty good." Class. But, but the ipads seem to be hanging around sticking it in like iOS eight and nine in some cases oh they don't upgrade they don't upgrade quite as rapidly i would guess you don't we, we know that a lot of the upgrade he says in scare quotes upgrades that happen is because somebody got a new phone for christmas so whatever version of ios you had before now you have the newest oh, right one. Yeah, yeah um but it, it seems like that applies to ipads as well as the fact that the ipad for its sort of use case and form factor seems to last long enough that if let's say your particular ipad was stuck on iOS 9. not saying there are any because don't fact me checking me on that because I don't know. But let's say it's stuck on 9, like, well, yeah, it's still good for watching Netflix. You just leave it there and you never really update it until you eventually break the thing or something and get a new one.
1: Yeah, I would think that people would keep iPads longer. I mean, I tend to. Um, I mean, back when I was hot and heavy in terms of developing for them, um, and I was like a one-man shop kind of thing, um, I would have a new iPad every year. Uh, But yeah, I mean, my current iPad Pro, I have the original version of iPad Pro 12-inch, and so that's like three years old now, I think, right? But interesting. Look, at, if you look at the uh, the adoption numbers, so you know the iPhone, so iOS 12 is at 76% on the iPhone, but it's only 57% on iPad, right? Um, and there's quite a few, like you know, it's uh, the numbers are quite a bit lower down in terms of, like you said, the uh, 17% are still on on uh, iOS 9 on iPad, you know, whereas only 1.3% are on iOS 9 on on iPhones, right? That seems like the iPhone users tend to upgrade uh, more often than the iPad users, right?
0: Yeah, and and uh, I don't know what to call this unburying the lead because we led off with uh,
1: iPhone 10s and 10r adoption. It
0: does sort of seem, from looking at these stats and seeing the scary news as we talked about in previous weeks, and also even just seeing Apple's um, marketing strategy, where they are saying, "Hey, you trade in what is it, an iPhone 8 Plus or 8? I forget what it is you're supposed to trade mm-hmm. in, and you get a pretty sizable discount um, for the trade-in value of that device to get a iPhone 10r."
1: Right? Is that so? Yeah. I think I talked about that on, on our Slack or whatever, um, that I saw an ad for 4.99 for an iPhone on, in the States, um, but I can never sort of figure out how they calculated that because when I went in, it was like, it just showed the retail price of the phone. Yeah, so that.
0: what's the base price? Is it like... S- 649 for the ten I
1: think so yeah yeah Let,
0: let's pretend it's 649 because if it's 749 we just add a hundred um so you're getting like 200-ish dollars trade-in value for that iPhone gosh I really don't remember yeah. if it was seven plus yeah. or eight
1: plus um, well I've seen I've seen people do the calculation on the trade-in value for their their devices and they're getting at 200 to three hundred dollars uh, as trade-in right from Apple I think Apple's numbers are a little lower than say the orchard service that I used from when I sold my iPhone 6 plus right that I got almost three hundred three hundred and fifty dollars for what? when I traded it What's interesting.
2: Year. Is if you look at the iPhone 10 usage, it's 3.2% of iPhones. But the 10S and well, the 10 S is 2.9% and the 10 S Max is 0.7%. So the sum of 10s and 10s Max is 3.6%, which is higher than the 10. Right. So yeah. that means that adoption of the 10s and the 10 10s max is larger than the 10, even though the 10's got over a year advance on it. So that's kind of interesting. Uh however the 10R is at 1.1% compared to the 8 and the 8 plus combined, which is eleven point nine
0: percent.
1: That's quite a big. So jump, yeah. yeah,
2: so that's showing the 10R really is kind of a dud compared to the 8s, whereas the 10S family is actually doing a little bit better than the 10 family.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious as to one I'm just I was trying to find out where he gets these stats from. He didn't uh mm-hmm. did he say? I thought it was from his apps. Oh, his app, audiobooks, okay, right interesting yeah, yeah so caveat that's,
2: that's a little unfair it's because it's it's a selective audience you know that' saying that the people this is just amongst the type of people who want to use his books or his app rather it doesn't it, right, and numbers right. may be very different for other types of apps or and or the overall picture yeah it's kind of hard to say
1: see so like I would tend to use the amazon or the audible app myself I wouldn't necessarily use his app right
2: well that's what's good about Mixpanel is it's a whole cross-section of apps
1: yeah yeah because they're one of those statistic places right that uh provides services to multiple people, like Flurry used to do.
2: Yeah, right, right. That's that's what mixed panel is. Yeah. So okay, so looking at the mixed panel charts, also linked in the notes. Uh, as of December, let's say December first, we'll have to check how valid this is because it's uh the release dates are not necessarily the same. But but as of December first, let's say, or a little the next dot after December 1st, which is like December approximately today, you know, plus or minus a couple of days. We got the iPhone 10 It's looking like Four and a half percent of total usage, I guess. Uh, and the uh, eight plus is at around three percent, and the eight is around, let's say, two and a half percent. So, let's say, let's say four and a half percent for 10, and five and a half percent for the combined eight and eight plus. And now, let's look at the other
1: chart, which is the 10 hour chart from last year, though, isn't it? Look at the two charts. I I was just looking at last year's chart.
2: Oh, okay. So, that's where we got the the 10 was at around four and a half percent, and the eight and the eight plus combined were around three and a half percent at roughly you know, first. First week of December after. Oh, okay, right.
1: Look at the wrong color. Yeah,
2: because it only it's it's only a valid comparison if we compare at roughly the same time after release, right? You can't okay, you can't yeah. judge them against a whole another year of adoption.
1: Right, I follow you. Okay.
2: So if looking at the iPhone eight and iPhone ten adoption, that's where I get the roughly four and a half percent for the ten, and combined five and a half percent for the eight and the eight plus. And now let's look at roughly the same amount of time after the ten R, ten and ten max adoption. We get ten max is at around maybe two 2.8 percent maybe three percent and uh 10s is at around plus to two and a half percent so that's around five and a half percent uh so that's okay so that yes yeah, so that's actually higher than so those combined is actually higher than the 10 right. which is consistent right. with the other number and now we get the 10r is at around maybe one and a half percent which is a lot lower than that five and a half percent that we got from the eight and the eight plus from last year so yeah that that's that's all consistent so the the uh the S series is outperforming the ten the plain ten series from last year at the same right. roughly the same point in time but the ten R is definitely under way underperforming the eight series from last year. Which right. is which is not surprising given that the ten R is a lot more expensive than the eight.
1: Right, right. And it's and it's probably shadowed by I mean like if you're looking at a ten R, is right. it a giant leap to go to a 10s or ten S max like in terms of dollars? Like a hundred dollars or $200 more kind of thing? I think or?
2: it's a couple hundred bucks difference, right?
1: Yeah. Like if you're already that invested in, especially if you're going through like a carrier where they're going to subsidize part of the purchase, or you're going, like in your case, Mark, you're going through the Apple program, right?
2: Well, there's no more um, subsidies
1: in the US. No, but, but with your, with oh, phones are, are bought out right now? Or? Well,
2: that's all full price. Even even if you do it on the installment plan, it's still, yeah, okay. it's still paying full price.
1: But I mean, like an, on the installment plan, buying a, a 10S Max versus a 10R, is there that much difference in the monthly payment? Probably. Probably not or that much. Yeah. Like five, 10 bucks, maybe? or Probably not.
2: Yeah. That's probably about right. Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's something you could, it's something you could swallow in terms of like the, the difference, right? Like, why wouldn't I just get the next phone up, right? Like the, like the popcorn theory, but the medium versus the large, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's only yeah. a few, I mean, few it's, shekels it's more, right?
2: Good argument. I think we were talking about this last time that the 10R, it, it, you know, kind of looks like it was a little bit of a blunder for Apple. It was, it was, mm. it was too expensive to be the low end new phone. Right. And and uh, it you know it's and since and and, and as you said it's it's too close to the XS to to really make it worth it for a lot of people.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't I just get the better phone with the better screen? I mean, right. I could I could just hear the guy at the Apple Store or whoever's recommending you buy the device. The OLED screen is so much more superior than this liquid Retina you know thing. Or whatever, right, right. Right. So yeah.
2: Right. And for people hmm. who bought the eight last year, it's not worth upgrading.
1: Right. Right. And if you're a brand new user going in, and if if you're on an iPhone eight budget, you're probably going to stick with an iPhone eight. Right. Right, like if you're a regular regular Joe consumer, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, interesting to see. That. I mean, they, they've done that before. They did. I think the iPad three or the third iPad was was a bit of a bit of a dud as well. If I remember. You know. Yeah. yeah I that don't was know the how they, did on
0: sales. they replaced
2: it with the four something like three months after it. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't know how sales did on that one, but having owned an iPad 3, that first retina screen on it was, uh, I think, a little bit too much for the processor or GPU apps to handle. It oh, was right, definitely right. not as
1: fast, and that was a big deal for the 4 to give it enough oomph to handle all those pixels. Right, right. And it's not like Apple hasn't made blunders in the past. Well, I mean, all the pre out of the jobs era, they've had some pretty significant road apples, as I like to call them, right? So. Yep. All right. Um, let's move on. So, Jaime, you got something here about a uh, Google bug, Google Plus bug?
0: Yeah, this is a follow-up to the last time we talked about Google+, Plus and specifically that there was a big data leak, or I should say a big data vulnerability, and uh, Google was like, yep, we're just going to shut down Google+, Plus. and instead of shutting it down in, what I think it was like August of 2019, now they're going to shut it down in April, so they're moving up the schedule. Really? Wow. Like four months, because they found another bug. As, as far as I know, they're pretty sure nobody actually used uh, this one, unlike the other one where, based on their server log history, where they only keep the most recent two weeks. Um, and, and it had been like a long time. They didn't know for sure, yes or no, whether something had happened to the data. In this case, feel a little bit more confident that nothing was leaked out because they can check their logs considering that this bug was only open for six days. Um, mm. So kind of a sad, sad, sad but story. But potentially,
1: really. potentially 52 million users' data was exposed. Potentially. Uh,
0: potentially. And, and who knows about that? It's um, definitely the going to be the end of an era for, for Google+. And I think in a post-Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook, I think big People are looking a lot more closely at using data, and I think our sort of thing that we give people as advice of like, hey, don't use you know Google login, Facebook login, Twitter login, all these other logins for this reason. Just go use a password manager like One Password, or if you don't want to go multi uh, multi platform or pay for a service or anything, I think just using the uh, iCloud Keychain stuff that Apple gives you that integrates really nicely in iOS twelve is perfectly fine.
1: Yeah, and I've never really been a big fan of of the whole Google model where you know you get to all this free service just by you know, giving them permission to rifle through your things. Um, I was a little shocked when I first got Google Photo that it just started uploading my photos without even checking what... Like, I'm, I'm not just taking pictures of, of puppies and babies and, you know, funny things. I'm also using my, my camera for work things, right? And I wasn't really pleased about them, you know, taking deposit slips and putting them up on my Google Plus profile, right? So uh, I can just imagine what kind of stuff people have up on their Google Plus profiles, right? So not a fan. All right. Jaime, um, you got something about uh, Infinity Blade.
0: Yeah, speaking of an end of an era, um, Epic, the company, has removed the Infinity Blade games, all of them, from the App Store. I think they just probably weren't really making, you know, that much money from them anymore, given their age, and you know, there's a non-zero cost to continue to keep these things up to date with newer versions of iOS, newer devices that include notches or have triangular screens or whatever it is that comes down the road. And I was a little nostalgic for these because this was one of those game series that made you. I don't know, like your eyes pop and say, "Holy smokes!" I can't believe a yeah. tablet can do that. I can't believe a phone can do that. You know, we've got um, like Xbox or Xbox 360 sort of style of graphics on this
1: device that I can carry in my pocket. Yeah, they gave away one of these apps at uh, Christmas, I think, a couple of years ago as part of their 12 Days of Christmas, right? But um, but it's just interesting here that they talk about the fact that it says in the article that they they couldn't afford to support it anymore. I think, uh, like you said, I suppose it's probably like you know customer support and keeping up with the keeping up with the devices and stuff like that and the ios's and so on and so forth but these are all the same people that produce uh that big one what's it called um
0: yeah when, when we say afford they, they they create um fortnite which is fortnite, yeah. a mega hit and if i was a business i would put all my resources all hands on deck onto fortnite um, and, and keep riding that that money train here right. in terms of afford it's not in the like oh they're they're scraping by and we're gonna have to go start a go fund me for them uh no no this is more like it, it's not worth it given the return on investment right oh, I see. Right.
1: Okay, cool. All right. And this is another follow-up from last week. We talked about the, uh, the Qualcomm versus Apple. Uh, I mentioned last week that the date trial date had been set, but it turns out that, uh, there's some interesting, uh, more interesting things going on in that, uh, China is banning, or I think Qualcomm convinced China to ban some iPhone sales. And so Apple is appealing that decision. Um, and there's some more detail here. There's a couple of links here. I've got one from, from CNBC about the general, um, appeal, but I think it's taken apart a little bit better on six colors. Uh, website um, Jason Snell's site uh, where he talks he's taken the, the the points that are being made and, and broken them down and, and commented on them a little bit but um, there's you know an issue I think it's the modem chips that are used in 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 Apple phones older phones so this only applies to iPhone 6s uh, and plus and 7 seven plus 8 plus and iPhone 10 only just those devices not the newer ones I think I, Apple moved to a different supplier for those um, and a weird things like they're they're claiming to have have the patent for resizing or adjusting and reformatting the size of an appearance of photographs in in apps and uh, further down they complain they claim that Apple has stolen some of their technology and given it over to um, uh, Intel which sounds very sort of strange uh, kind of um, complaint to make Um, knowing Apple as well as we I think we do (laughs) I think we think we think I think we do I'm not saying that right but um, you know what I mean like we have faith in Apple that, that they wouldn't do this kind of thing and they don't really need to but why would they steal something and give it to a competitor? It sounds kind of petty. Uh, but the interesting last one is that they're claiming that uh, Qualcomm is claiming somehow that T- Tim Cook is going to run for president, um, probably to make him a target for Donald Trump to bash against, right? So um, interesting stuff. I don't know if you guys have read any of these articles or kept up with the story between Apple and Qualcomm? Yeah,
2: yeah. there, there may there may actually be a, a pretty large political element to this beyond the, the thing you just mentioned, uh, in that you know, Apple has... Uh, well, at least was uh, until recently was the largest uh, market cap company in the United States with over right. a trillion yeah. dollars, uh, and uh, as such, they are a big part of the American economy and the American stock market. Uh, and of course, you know, as as Apple's stock dropped pretty tremendously in the past couple of months, it brought yeah. a lot of the stock market down with it. So, so this could be. Now, I mean, certainly there is there is this battle between Qualcomm. And apple but China acting on it could easily be part of the trade war that we're in right now oh that's by, true by yeah. by doing this they inflict damage on Apple which by extension inflicts damage upon the American economy and it right, seems right. to have worked so far pretty well so it, yeah so it may actually have in China's mind it may actually have very little to do with the actual facts of the case it may just be a convenient excuse to uh, strike back at uh, the current the American administration uh by damaging the economy a little
1: bit right and i don't know if you guys have heard but you probably have heard about the um Y-way, is it y the c uh Wally, cto yeah. way the lady that's being held in canada yeah, right now. yeah she just got released on bail today but apparently that's uh because of canada's relationship with the united states The united states asked us to hold her yeah uh and possibly extradite her and and um for some i forget what, it, what the, the reason was but uh um that's another political angle right um it's getting getting uh the U.S. and China, and, and now Canada, involved in that kind of thing too. Yeah, because it affects us too. I mean, we, we're sure. obviously our our stock market's reliant on the the, the Nasdaq and the Dow also performing well as well, right? Right, right.
2: I mean, the whole world economy depends on the U.S. economy, whether people like it or not. I mean, that's that's just reality. And uh, just the threat to do damage to the American economy has to
0: make people sit up and take notice.
1: True. I didn't think about that angle, but well, you make know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. And to real time fact check, I believe it is the chief financial officer i think it was cfo right. and i believe it was um i'm probably gonna use the wrong term here but let's say like embargo violations where allegedly they oh, right. set up yeah, yeah. a like a shell company to get around um being able to sell stuff to or not being able to sell stuff to iran given right. the yeah. u.s administrations beefs with them so it's it's a very tangled yeah. international sort
1: of intrigue
0: going on here
2: not only was this, she, she the cfo of huawei she's also the daughter of the chairman or the founder that, yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And apologies to people who don't like to hear us talk about politics, but this is where I think politics has finally, you know, crept into the show because it's having a major impact on all of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Speaking of having a major impact, uh, apparently Samsung has killed the headphone jack on their latest phone. Do you guys see that? I'd seen the headline. Um, I didn't know which phone was being talked about. It's a galaxy A8S, mm. a 8s or galaxy a eight. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're now going to a USB C, a USB, yeah, a USB format C, uh, um, Jack and uh, and you'll have to have a dongle to uh, use regular headphones with it. And uh, after all the after the and there's a there's a, in the article I've got linked here. There's a, a commercial that where um, Samsung was making fun of the fact that Apple had dropped the headphone jack on the iPhone 10 and uh, other devices. Right? Um, was it iPhone 10 the first one mm-hmm. to drop the jack? No, no, it
0: wasn't. It was the um, the seven, seven and seven plus. Oh, okay, right, right. Oh, they did,
1: really? Yeah, yeah. I had the, uh, the dongle for that. True. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think, yeah. I think. I think the news story was that in the latest versions of um, the devices, they're not coming with the dongles anymore. These, I think, they, they had them in the package, right? I think last year when you got an eight or ten, maybe you got the headphones with the with the lightning jack, and you also got the dongle. But now you have to buy the dongle separately. But because again, it's like how many people really need them, kind of thing. Especially with AirPods out there. Yeah.
2: Um, now, are these uh, Samsung devices that don't have the headphone jack? Do they also have a notch? they <laughs> They actually don't.
0: Uh, this is a a this is a, an audio medium and not a visual, but technically they do not have a notch. Mm. What they have is, um, and we'll have this link so you can see uh, for those of you driving at home, uh, that'll be in the show notes. It, they have what is called the Infinity O display, or as I've seen people on the interwebs talk about, it's the hole punch display where the camera is in the upper left-hand corner. And it looks like a hole punch that you would mm. use on uh, on paper to put it into your binder. It has a bit
1: of chin, too, if you look at the bottom, too, right?
0: Yeah. It definitely has a little bit of chin uh, a lot less than i see a lot of android devices nowadays have but it's it's a lot closer to being a truly edge-to-edge seamless display
1: it does seem to have some a little bit of space at the top which might be for like some sensors right um across the top there
0: yeah it looks like there's a little like black infrared bar or something right on the on uh, the silver-ish bezel if i see what you're you're seeing
1: yeah but the story is the headphone jack <laughs> <laughs> like a lack like thereof
0: yeah i don't I, it's so weird the way we are in tech i don't really really get how uh, Apple was apparently too early, too early to, to the show of uh, removing the 3.5 millimeter audio jack. But apparently, as we talked about last week, way too late to the 5G era, which is dawning upon us.
1: So we're a very odd bunch, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we, like we, we well, said, lead from behind, right? Uh, with, with the exception of the notch and, and uh, base ID and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, with, yeah. Fi- with 5G, it's sort of a smart move because the, the number of funds that will actually be able to use a 5G network in the next year is still gonna be pretty small. Even if you buy one, the chances of there being a network available for you to use is pretty small. So having it is a bit of a marketing gimmick in some sense. Uh, and Apple, you know, can just sit back and wait until the networks have been built out. So as soon as people start using them, they'll really notice it.
1: Yeah, but last week I was talking about, I couldn't remember the, what the advantages for 5G was, but 5G will also be able to come into other devices other than phones, like in your home, your internet of things kind of things will be able to take advantage of 5G networks as well, right? So.
2: Well, if the networks exist.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah it's what kind of like but but beyond just you know what what technology your phone works on it'll be other devices in like maybe your alarm system or whatever or whatever you know like home kit devices who knows what, what it'll be but but that's one of the advantages of the, the promises of, of 5g is it'll it'll get more into the tech we all use right throughout, the, throughout our lives anyway cool all right so Jaime, you have some stuff here uh, in the main area about swift tricks
0: yeah, this one's a blog post called A Few Swift Tricks That You Might Not Know by Mike Pesate or Passate. I'm not sure how the name is pronounced. Um, some of these I really didn't know you could do in Swift and, and some I think I wanted to bring to the forefront sort of a, um, patterns or techniques that I happen to use and enjoy. So one that I didn't know is is right here, number one, on avoiding type repetition where instead of doing, and, and I'll read from this example, uh, let you know your variable name, so like let foo of type bar equal, and then you do bar. To instantiate that type, um, I didn't know you could do let foo of type bar equal dot init. So calling the dot init function uh, without uh-huh. putting, without prefixing with the type. Um, I I thought that was kind of weird. And I, I be honest, I'm not 100 percent certain how I feel about it. But the what he says here in the blog post is that the compiler can infer what that should be, and that'll lets you um, that'll let you avoid. Let's say if you're um, renaming some type, and it's like oh man, like this thing was called this. And now I have to go change the million different places that it's called something else. Um, hopefully, the Xcode refactoring, renaming tool will help you with that. But it, it won't in all circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's interesting here, though, is that he's showing how to, how to create a, like a rectangle um, with by passing in init, initial values as well, right? In the init.init. I've seen a developer a colleague of mine do something similar to this when we first were switching over to Swift. And, and it looked odd to me, but was, I don't know if it was exactly using init or even I think maybe the new word new um, to do something similar to this. But,
2: yeah, well, yeah. you know, bar or or you know, uh, class name parentheses parentheses open close parentheses or even with with primers inside is really just a shortcut for class name dot init parentheses. Right, it's, right. It, it's just a shortcut for that. And since you're giving the type on the left hand side of the equal sign in this particular case, then right, yeah. then you can leave out the class type and just call the dot init. So it, it's 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 not really anything new or fancy. It's just it's, it's it is cut kind of, it's just a style. Thing. It kind of depends what you like. Sure, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's,
1: you know, if you like it, great. Yeah, I can just see the code review discussions about this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm going to let that one sort of soak for a little bit, maybe over the holidays before I decide one way or the other. Because one of the benefits I definitely see of it is like, yeah, it's kind of less repetitious. Let foo of type bar equal hey that bar constructor call it. I was like, well, I kind of knew what was happening, right? I mean, uh, spoilers, it's going to be... <laughs> The class names uh, initializer, um, so it is less repetitious. The the big downside I could say though is that um, unless there's a huge groundswell of developers who start doing this, it would definitely look stylistically odd. I, I don't know that I've
1: ever seen anybody write Swift code like that.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah,
1: it's reminiscent of allocating in it back in the Objective C days too, right? For me, mm-hmm. anyway, you know, kind of the thing you remember once you, once you learn how to do that. It's like that's how you initialize and allocate something every single time, or the other way around. Yeah,
2: one thing you does throughout the article is is uh, leave out the class name and just call a method with dot and then the method name Uh, and which you can do because he's explicitly saying what type the left hand side is in the left Uh, but to me that just looks weird in general calling you know any kind of a class method with just dot blah just seems kind of odd looking to me so I I never do that I would I would always do something like bar dot and then the thing instead of just dot even if it even the compiler can infer it to me it just still just looks better and is more clear to, to explicitly put the class name. And to
1: other but readers too, me. right? Yeah. 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 That's just me, I get you know. What other tips has you he got here on me? Um, th-
0: another one that I think I like to use is the namespaces. This is number three on here, where you can use enums as namespacing. As an example, he does an um, enum of type request that has a enum within it called login and he's got an error one. So you can do things like hey, let this user of type request dot login dot user equal and then, of course, he uses that fancy uh, bare init structure. But that's something um, I've used before, something our team has used. It looks kind of nice because it gives you almost um, like Java or C-sharp style package mm-hmm. structure without having a lot of the drama and overhead of, of how those package structures tend to work. know you can sort of do this with, let's say, um, like the way that Swift modules work, but it's not as clear what's happening. Whereas here, it's very clear when I look at, you know, let's say line number 26 if this is a pull request that's say, what kind of user is this oh it's a request login user okay got it and maybe there's another kind of user that you might have from a different namespace so i do kind of like using that and it's pretty nice that swift lets you do this with enums
1: where you couldn't do the exact same thing in objective c yeah
2: this is kind of interesting i haven't i haven't done this one myself but it, it is kind of cool
1: does this does this last line here 27 does it the user have username and password is part of that is getting passed through let's see requires, it, the case yeah, of the user. It, t-
2: In this case, user is an associated value of the enum. Right. Yeah. Or of the, yeah, with the, yeah, with the width case of the login enum in this. Mm -hmm. So it does.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Because it comes from the struct, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the intention here is you're supposed to, let's pretend you didn't have um, everything on the right hand side of the equal sign. It's sort of the way you could read, you know, create this user of this type and then go ahead and log in that user. Right. Right. So it's trying to be a little bit more like prose and less like uh, mathematical formula
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the other one that I think I'll, I'll bring up here is the molds one is something that I I haven't done it exactly as he has here uh, so as he describes a mold as a container you use to make replicas of things uh, that are mass-produced like you know plastic molding for example um, here he's using an extension on UI label and says hey look there's a class of art called heading and in my let's say my design system my UI label will for a heading type will always be uh, font size of 18 and the text color is black you can imagine your design system might have something totally different for uh, body text and all those other bits. So then you can use it as like, Hey, I'm going to create a heading label of type UI label and its instantiation is just dot heading. he brings it up as being very kind of similar to the way that you can create color references. Instead of saying UI color dot black, you would just say this is dot black. And so I, I kind of like that. I don't know how I feel about the extension on something like UI label for that, but when you read it at the very least, it feels like, Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty easy. So I can match up to our design system. All right. He's creating a heading label. Is he using the heading property or heading type? Yes. Perfect. Um, if he's using a body label for this particular screen, is he using the right one? Dot body? Great. And then if I really, really care about the details in Xcode, makes it really easy. Just command click to get into the definition there.
1: Yeah. It's reminiscent of a, of a cascading style sheet type of thing in HTML, right?
0: Yeah. I think that's what I kind of like about it. That is um, cascading style sheets and, and the lack thereof is something that's kind of missed being in the IR space and being out of the web world for so long. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, but it saves on the repetition of having to explicitly say what font and the text and the color and so on and so forth is as you go, right? Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I, I do. I like that aspect of it as well. I, I, I don't like the syntax when you when you create a new one at the bottom uh, because it doesn't look right to, to me to say yeah it, the the syntax that that shows let heading label colon UI label equal just dot heading and that looks like you're assigning it to an enum or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's it, it doesn't look right. It doesn't look like you're creating a new one, a new instance of this thing to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's a style that in my mind works better for UI decoration type things. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're talking about color and, and, and CSS style sheet type stuff. I don't yeah. think it would work quite as well for non-UI facing things. Um, the difference between creating and reusing a lot of times doesn't make a huge difference when it comes to the UI stuff. Uh, a lot of times we do just expect it to be reused like for uh, table views or collection views. Um, I think I'd be a little surprised if I saw something getting created when I didn't expect it or getting reused when I didn't expect it in um, like the networking layer, for example.
2: Yeah. But, but let me give you an example of where this would be weird is say you have four different labels, all of heading type. So you'd have four consecutive let statements saying let heading label one, for example, equal dot heading, let heading label two equal dot heading, let heading label three equal dot heading, etc. Right. So it's, so it looks like you're you're assigning them all to the same thing if you don't really know what's going on. As whereas if you when you have in a, in a normal uh, allocation or init of a of a structure of an instance, uh, you have the parentheses at the end and the you know well typically the the class name or or the dot init in his case that are telling you right away oh this is creating a new one so it's very obvious that you're creating a new instance right
0: right yeah I definitely agree with that. It, there's some clues to the reader that come from having those parentheses right um, on yeah. there yeah
2: now the analogy is if say you have an enum uh, that has a case dot heading let's just say for the sake of argument uh, and you want to make four instances of the enum well it, it, it works the same way that it's that's it's working here you'd have four let statements in a row both being assigned to the same what seems to be the same thing and it is creating four different instances of it in that case so I guess that's the counter argument what I'm saying that you know, enums do it why not this thing but I don't know it would take some getting used to, I guess, for me.
0: Yeah, it feels like some of those domain-specific languages or DSLs that people get really excited about and think they can be powerful, but they are a little difficult to get into. And if you're coming brand new onto a project and you weren't the one who had a part and created that domain-specific language, mm-hmm. I often find that sort of difficult to, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it just seems like it adds to the learning curve.
2: Yeah, I guess
0: one one way you could get around
2: this, if you if you really wanted to, was inside the class, the heading class, Inside the extension and UI label, uh, instead of returning, instead of having heading be a, a var, which is what they're doing here, a static uh, well, you know, class variable, class uh, pro, uh, property, uh, you could have it return a function that did exactly the same thing. Not a return function, but a, a call a function that does exactly the same thing. So in that case, then you'd have to put the parentheses there as well. And it would look a little bit more like instantiating a, a regular class.
0: Yeah, I get um, it. I get
2: it. Yeah. Instead yeah, of using no, that, a, a property, uh, you just use a function. Function.
0: Yeah, a
1: function that would return that UI label
0: in this case. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Presumably this is setting up so that you can use this like instance of UI label anywhere in your code, right? Like using like declaring it dot heading type. Well, so I,
2: it is actually creating an instance of a of a UI label that has these particular properties. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a it's a, it really is a factory method. It just doesn't look right. like a factory method so much.
1: Right, gotcha. Well cool. yeah so food for thought we'll have that link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But yep. right. speaking of uh, changing things. <laughs> what is a uh, triple, tri- triple two straws have for us. If I may?
0: Yeah. Uh, Mr. Paul Hudson from hacking with Swift has a note here on a change in Swift five that will change how the optional try. That's the try with the question mark at the tail end of it works with regard to optionals, uh, specifically nested optionals where he brings up an example where um, you have a struct and it has a failable initializer. So it's init with question mark. And it also has a function that throws. So in the two lines of usage, in this case, um, he's instantiating a user because that was the type of the struct. Um, and that is an optional because, as we mentioned before, the initializer is optional. And then he's calling a method on that user struct that, as we mentioned, throws. So when you use the try with the question mark, um, you have to you do user question mark dot, in this case, get messages. And in current Swift, um, that will give you an optional option. Optional. So you, you would have a type of question mark, question mark uh, at the tail end. And that could be kind of annoying. As he mentions here, uh, you would get messages of being typed string, question mark, question mark. Um, this already works a little bit differently than the way that optional chaining works in other parts of Swift. But so it's really kind of nice that as you would expect, you would get a single optional type. So in this case, for the messages bit, you would get a optional string, which is kind of what you would expect given that you are calling a method on a type that has a failable and therefore optional return value for its initializer. Cool. I, I hope that really made sense that. for people listening at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried to do my best to, it, it, it's very simple code that it, you can read uh, when you, you know, stop working out of the gym or uh, pull over pull your over card over. Yeah, <laughs> to over. go take a look or something. Uh, but it, it, it's really nice. I think I'll look forward, not as like an earth shattering event sort of thing, but I'll look forward to this particular breaking change in Swift. Cause I should point that out. It actually is one, this will change behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to have to go in, and change it in a bunch of my code, but I'm but I'm happy to do it because it is definitely an improvement in my mind. I mean, I don't think there's, I mean, there may be someone who really liked or, or needed that earlier behavior, the current behavior, but can't imagine many people really, really want that. It, I don't I don't really see any case where it would actually get you anything to have the current behavior when really mm-hmm. what you want is the new behavior. So I'm pretty happy about it.
1: Yeah, single wrapping for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool, all right. Now, what's your next one? Now, your next tip here, here, Jaime? This one is a
0: blog post by, does it have a name? Uh, Vlas ADBD App
1: Blog, right? Sorry? ADBD App Blog.
0: Yes. Uh, that, that's the company. Um, I was looking to see if they had a byline, and they do. It's uh, Vlas Evolution, senior developer at ADBD. And this one is about recording AR kit sessions. And the way I understood this is it was to record the data that gets produced out of AR kit. So, like the cloud of points and, and stuff is going to wave his hand saying without having gotten much into ARKit. Right. So he shows an example here where, based on the way that the architecture of ARKit works, you can do this sort of sampling of the session and record that so that you can replay what that session was doing. And the use case for this, per my understanding, is when it's not super convenient when you're trying to iterate on different things. So if it's inconvenient for you to be, you know, out in the forest uh, mapping stuff or, you know, you really just want to fix that one particular bug and you just want to replay the data and not, like, have to pick up your phone and hold it over the table time and time and again, just to get to that, whatever particular bug is you're trying to fix. I
1: believe that's what the use case is here. And it doesn't yeah, looks like it looks like it's like, like a mocking up a, a, a test and to be able to run it again. Right.
0: Yeah. And I didn't know you could do this if you're out there and you didn't know. Well, today you learned and it looks pretty useful. It doesn't look terribly hard to do. Um, we should point out though, that confusion. this
2: is not a public API. So if you include this in your app, when you submit to the app store, you will get rejected. Did.
0: Yes, but, yeah, th- thank
2: you. Yeah, but it seems like a great diagnostic tool when you're building your app.
0: Yeah, definitely one of those ones that you don't want to
1: ship with and get sadly rejected. Oh cool. yeah, in the video, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that all you want to say about it, Jaime?
0: Yeah, I didn't have much to add to it. Um, seemed like a, a useful thing. It does make me think of how that would be kind of cool to be able to do, e- even if we had to do uh, the private API thing where, okay, put this in my debug builds, but strip it out before submitting to the App Store for protection releases. It'd be kind of nice to have something similar for, um, other sensor-type work that you might do that you would really, really want to use. Simulator, or at least I can't use a simulator. I can connect to a device that's just sitting there. Um, yeah. Thinking of, like, camera-type stuff, location-type stuff. I, I guess a little bit for location, but um, core motion, you know, motion chip sensor stuff. Definitely like to see yeah. more of that, that you could, like, record and then replay and stream the, the data back.
1: Yeah. So for those of you driving at home, it, you, it you, you taps into the low-level fr- frameworks like AV Foundation and Core Motion and you back color Im- color Image information, accelerometer readings, gyroscope readings, device orientation from the magnometer inside the device, and uh, face data if you're using the true depth, true depth camera and depth also from the true depth camera. So then you can it records those um, readings and you can store them and play them back. You All right. What, do you, what else? What other tip have you got for us, sir Yeah,
0: this one's a blog post by Andrew Fitzpatrick of the Big Nerd Ranch, and it is with regard to the new iPad Pro, which has the. US- USB-C port that can connect to external displays. And looking at this blog post and one of the statements right here, it looks like it's really easy to add external display to support to your iOS app. Um, as stated here, I'll read this this one paragraph. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's wildly simple. Make a window, add a root view controller to it, and set the window screen to the external screen. When the screen's disconnected, just hide and nail out the reference to the window so it can be deallocated. And he's got some uh, examples here and some notification center stuff that you have to listen to to observe the um, connect and disconnect stuff but it doesn't look like a ton of code so if you wanted to add another screen another window to your your app when you're on an ipad and connected to an external display this looks pretty handy and easy to do there there are some caveats he mentions here like um don't forget that that screen is not touch sensitive so don't put ui (laughs) controls in that one (laughs) um also uh be aware of the fact that depending on whether this is doing uh like airplane mirroring uh, or other bits the device is the one that's rendering that so uh Considerations come into mind when you're you're messing with us. Oh,
1: cool. all right. Yeah. Just on the sidebar here, I I backed uh, when when the uh, USB C um, Max first came out, I backed uh, um got the name of it now Hyper Hyper Drive, I think it's called um, adapter for the side of my uh, USB C Max. It has like HDMI port and USB ports, and I think it even has like a, a what do you call those SD card reader on the side of it. Um, but they just same company just came out with a uh, same type of uh, hub for attaching to an iPad Pro. Um, with a single USB port on it, and so you could have like an HDMI out, and uh, you know USB pass-throughs, and and even you know, read, SD readers for people using digital cameras, high-end digital cameras. So um, it's kind of a cool little port. That's on the on the Kickstarter right now. I think if you hurry, you can probably get you know one for fifty dollars US. Um, yeah, that's cool. I just got my hands on a on a, a iPad Pro eleven uh, at the office. There, we just we picked one up for testing, and um, yeah, it's pretty pretty neat little device. It's, it's more like a slate, like a uh, uh, it's, you know, very squarish, you know, not, doesn't have the rounded back like the old uh, iPads used to have. So, and no, no rounded corners. It's all like square cut. It's more like an iPhone 5 style or iPhone 4 style. Um, you know how they had the machined edges, right? Um, looks pretty cool. So I haven't really played, played around with it much, but, you no know, looks nice. Have you guys looked at the new devices at all? I haven't. I haven't actually
0: had a chance to go visit a store and go check out right. uh, new iPad, new pencil, new what watch? I think I was looking for.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Uh, pretty, pretty cool looking iPad for sure. All right. So we're at the pick uh, section of our show now. Um, what do you got there for? So, hey, Jaime, jump in there with your pick.
0: Yeah, this one is not a new article. It is given by the URL slug, it looks like. This is from 2007, so it is a little bit more than 11 years old now. Um, But I thought it was something interesting because it somehow made its way to me on, I want to say, Twitter, or maybe somebody emailed it to me or something. It is a blog post by uh, or on peterme.com called Thoughts On and picks of the original Macintosh user manual, which I have not seen. And I thought it was interesting to see this spiral-bound, what looks to be very beautiful photo of this manual and just looking at the pictures of, um, right here and the, the first one he has in the blog post is what appears to be a young Christian Bale using a Mac, um, uh, also, uh, this executive or, or office worker who is very happy to be lugging around his Mac, his Mac original Macintosh in a, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to call it a very large briefcase or a pretty big bag. And seeing some of the interior shots that you can sort of see Apple's sort of design aesthetic for the introduction, where they have the uh, the glossy surface, reflective surface. Um, also kind of interesting to see how they were introducing computer, I don't know, the, the ways that computers worked to people who didn't know anything about computers because they're brand spanking new for personal usage at this point in time era, like how clicking and dragging works with the mouse and uh, where does your information go? Uh, the strangest one he says here is the the metaphor that the finder is like a central hallway in the Macintosh house. Don't know that I've ever heard anybody use that analogy. Uh, probably won't ever again, but it's fun. It's a nice little blast from the past. Cool.
1: Yeah. I have an Apple IIc manual somewhere. And by the way, I do own one of those, ba- those gray bags that he's got. His um his 128K Mac in and actually my grandson took my 128K out of storage and put it in the bag for me. Thanks a lot. But uh, yeah, so I have one, I have uh, this. I've never seen this manual before. Now you've made me want to go and hunt the internet for one.
0: Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it's probably on eBay or something. But th- that particular bag, you know what it looks like? It looks like the pizza delivery guy. Yeah, it comes in a, kind a of bag.
1: bag, just like that. It's got the neoprene uh, foam, you know, it's canvas on the inside. I've got two of them. I've a taller one with, I guess, for newer machines. But yeah, I have I have this same gray one someday it'll be worth something yeah cool i guess that's how you that was how you made a mac portable back in the day right
0: yeah nowadays people are trying to decide you know should i get an air should i get a 13 inch macbook pro and this guy was lugging around something that weighs what? what is it like 10 pounds probably maybe 20 for the yeah. macintosh they're not they're not
1: light mm. and it's a crt tube right so it's it's a you know, glass tube right so there's a picture of the guy walking down the street with a folio in one hand and he's got his mac on his hip on the other right so yeah back in the early days cool yeah i think He's posted these on Flickr as well. Nice. My picks a quick one. I just saw this today from Oleg Begerman. Uh, he's posted that uh, Apple has put a uh, an image of Swift in Docker format up on their GitHub. Uh, if you're not familiar with Docker, Docker is a. Um, I guess it's like a. The analogy is like a like a, a ship at sea where you have um, components that you have in the big you know storage storage bins that they put on um, on uh, ships that go across the sea and they t- take them off and put them on individual trucks and sh- ship them around. But um, Docker is if you if you run Docker on a Mac or, or you basically can set up a PHP instance, uh, you can set up a you know web HTML web server instance. You can set up a MySQL instance. You can set up multiple Docker's of uh, of like environments for for building and testing or whatever. So Swift Docker and basically is, this is for server side Swift to so basically take the Swift language language and install it into a dock into a Docker Docker whatever they call those things. Um, and uh, yeah, and when you go, just uh, use. You very quickly get Swift set up on a, on a server instance so that you can then play around with it. This is for, written for Ubuntu 16.04, but yeah, if you have a, if you have a um, Ubuntu server, you can install Swift and just using Docker, which is pretty much plug in. That's sort of, sort of like homebrew, but like even, even more contained than that, you know? Um, have you guys looked at Docker at all?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a sandbox in, in iOS where you have each app yeah. lives in its own in, in environment and it's self-contained and it can't interact with the world around it. Right. Uh, or be interfered with by the world around it. Right. That's kind of what a Docker instance is. It's And and so people can ship an entire environment inside one of these Docker's docs mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. they call it. And, container. You know, install it container. Container. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you just that's install yeah.
2: it as a unit and you're ready to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I wonder if this makes some tool chain stuff easier to do. I mean, granted, um, it seems to be I've been brought up in a server case, a use case, but there are definitely devs out there who are using Ubuntu as their, their primary development environment. And yeah. I do kind of wonder if um, I kind of wonder if somebody will have some crazy, and it could be you, listener, in the future. Uh, here's a free, here's a free conference presentation idea. So Docker containers often tend to be used with the Kubernetes container orchestration system, and Swift, Docker, and Kubernetes are enough buzzwords that you will surely be picked <laughs> <laughs> when the, when you submit that <laughs> the paper Kubernetes. to the CFP. If, I guarantee if, you if will
2: get. Picked. Use that to do uh, something that has to do with artificial intelligence. Of machine learning, you're guaranteed to get funded by a VC without them. really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Well, there you go, folks. There's your tip for the week. Run away and get some VC funding. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think this is
0: how IBM, remember when Swift just first came out, we were talking about, oh, wow, look, cool. Look how cool it is that IBM lets you run Swift um, in a browser. I believe yeah, that, that they were using something Docker containers. they had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were using Docker containers to say, all right, somebody went to IBM.com slash Swift or whatever the URL is. It's in the show notes room many years ago, um, I think, you know, they were just firing up a container and it's like, great, server, run this instance of Swift on there. So I wonder if they, they sort of productionized what this was. I, I don't know what the source is here. I'd have to take a look at this particular project.
1: Yeah, I just looked it up. It's the IBM Swift sandbox that we talked about back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of cool to see this coming to uh, to Docker. You know, I, I think it was only a matter of time, but you know, again, hosted by Apple, so getting it from the source as well. Cool. All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So until the big Christmas extravagant um or holiday like Kostrovaganza. I guess we should include Kwanzaa and Hanukkah in there as well. Um, so hey, hi, me. If people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they, where would they look? I'm on Twitter. It's at Dev with the Hair. All right, Mark. If people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right, and my name is Timitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. And until next week, uh, well, I won't be here next week, but uh, Greg will be here hosting the show, and we'll talk to you guys later on in, in the future, in the new year, or something between Christmas and New Year's, I think, right, for me. These guys, Mark and Jaime, will be back next week. All right, All right, bye. 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 You've just experienced the More Than Just Code
0: podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc.
1: Florida more last weekend. Oh, you went last weekend. Oh, okay. Well, how was it? Well, except for about 15 seconds, it was great. What was the 15 seconds?
0: Oh, you haven't heard about this? Hi, man. I'm sure
2: you've no. heard about this.
0: 15 seconds? No, I don't. I don't think I have.
2: So I went to, the, I went to Florida to go to the uh, Patriots-Miami game.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now Is you, that how long you know. it took? Fifteen <laughs> seconds. <laughs> the last play, yeah. So the Patriots had the game won. I mean, mm-hmm. Really, they had the game won. they are fifteen seconds left. Yeah. They just kicked a field goal. They're up by five points. Yeah. They kick off. The Miami gets the ball on their own thirty-one yard line yeah. with six seconds left. So time for yeah. one play. Yeah. Miami does one of these lateral back and forth crazy silly things.
1: Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's a touchdown! Nice, and win the game. Wins the game two points or whatever
2: yeah one point Hmm. yeah but it was just ridiculous you know all they had to do was tackle the guy make one tackle they had 60 yards Mm do it 70 yards to do it Mm -hmm. they couldn't tackle the guy so they ended up losing the game just crazy crazy thing
1: that's like i'm trying to maple leaf thing they would snatch defeat from the jaws of victory right
2: yeah Yeah, they definitely did this time for sure (laughs) (sighs) painful
0: yeah that was i i didn't even connect with the fact that you were there and going to that game um Hmm. Yeah, it, yep. you know uh, Rob Gronkowski, the yep. surely first ballot Hall of Fame tight end. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he's a athletic beast, but he was way out of his depth having yep. him back there as a defender for not a hail mary, which is what right. they clearly expected, right. but a right. uh, a lateral or uh, a lateral based uh, play.
1: Yeah.
2: So to translate that for you, so uh, well, I know what a lateral is, but you do you know a hail mary is?
1: Yeah, that's where you throw it way over the top of everybody, right? Yeah. Okay. So to
2: defend against that, what they usually do is they just put in the biggest, tallest guys yeah. team uh, yeah. just because all you have to do is knock the ball down and it's over, game's over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Ron Gronkowski is this just enormous, giant uh, tight end, which is a, an offensive player. He plays on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. So he just, you know, he locks a lot of people and catches a lot of balls and just plows through a lot of people. Uh, but he's not particularly fast or agile. <laughs> he's, right. he's he's huge. So mm-hmm. yeah, in a, in a Hail Mary situation, yeah, it makes sense to have him out there because he's he's tall taller than everyone else, but in this case, when you have to chase down a really fast running back Runner, yeah, and yeah. tackle him, he was just completely yeah. outclassed, and he mm-hmm. doesn't play defense, so he doesn't even know how to do it.
1: So is this guy is this is guy that would stand in front of the quarterback and try to like block him from passing, or or he does he goes and chases the guys who are going to catch the ball?
2: No, no, he's on the offensive side. He's the guy who catches the ball.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> but but not an offensive lineman, which might be what you were right. describing
0: right. there. Right. Okay. So he's not. Okay. Uh, I mean. Tight ends often have blocking uh, responsibilities, but they're right. uh, also got you know pass catching responsibilities as well. Right, right. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, I pretty much know what the center is and what the uh, quarterback. Quarterback. is well, know. Yeah. And the kicker. Yeah. And the kicker. Yeah. Yeah. reason well, I know about centers because a friend of mine was a center on our team football, our football team. Yeah. Football. You
0: bet. Yeah. This will have to go the other direction for me. Come twenty twenty one. I'm like Tim. Give me the TLDR
1: and hockey. <laughs> yeah. mm. They keep changing the rules in hockey, though. That's the thing, right? Like the, the, the hockey they play now is not the hockey I knew when I was a. Kid. Did, right, so we used to have a two-line offside offside pass, but now they got rid of that to speed up the game, and now they have four-on-four four overtime, and you know it was crazy back back in back when men were men, and you know they used to mash each other all over the place and have fights and stuff. You know hockey's hockey's quite quite a bit different. You know skill the skill of the players have gotten you know they've gotten all scientific and you know all into kinesiology and stuff like that and sports science and you know things have changed quite a bit. Mm.
0: Definitely, I don't I watch old uh, NFL film stuff, yeah, and these Hall of famer guys like they they would not even make the um you know like the backups or the third yeah. string guys they're just yeah. so unathletic for the modern era where everybody's got you know perfect training they've got perfect diet regimens and all these other yeah. things they're yeah. doing they are just monsters by comparison yeah if you go back and watch like a bobby
1: or uh, like uh like what do you call it a play reel or whatever where you, you know you call it, highlight reel yeah if you go watch a, a bobby bobby or highlight reel it's like it's like he's like from somebody from 10 or 15 years in the future playing with the old Guys, because they have they have no frame of reference on how to stop the guy. Right? Even the goaltenders don't even know how to how to defend his shots and stuff. And and um, I mean, used to play used to play with a pretty much straight stick with a single piece of tape on it, right? And uh, just fool everybody. And then you know, even when Gretzky and those guys were around, they they kind of changed the game too, right? And the Russians, when the Russians came over and played against Canada, that was you know it was it was pretty embarrassing for the Canadian teams who thought that they were the team Canada thought they were like the be all and end all of hockey, right? So, but then you know like uh, like you you were joking on this podcast about like getting a big giant guy to, to go into the net and you know I was trying to explain to you that it's already hard enough to score right but uh, <laughs> are we opening up this this, uh, this again? No, Tim
0: I no. am 100% correct you get a man who physically no. fills the entire net and I understand this is a very <laughs> difficult a very difficult proposition but if you find yeah. somebody who does it it is physically impossible to score you have to say somebody would have to be like four feet tall and six feet wide I mean have you seen TLC or History Channel whichever Everyone yeah, has yeah, like but my they, 1600 on pound life sides
1: they're barely getting out of bed never those people
0: you just wheel them out there you put the put the wheel skates underneath them and <laughs> slide them out like the zamboni
1: i'm sure somebody would complain you know <laughs> i'm not gonna complain when i when i coach that team to hit 10 stanley cups in a row yeah but you know but so so it's one thing to stop people from scoring you also have to be able to put the puck in the net to win a game that's that's the sad part about your theory
0: yeah it it, it eventually goes into um well no actually I, I still win no matter what as long as my dude can take the punishment because I, I, I think there are limits on yeah, the but size of how do you win pads. you win
1: 00 zeros. like they don't even they don't even have they don't even have if it's a tie, they have shootouts, right? Yeah, and so, and so so you win the shootout. The other now, t- the other right, team continues
0: to, to score nothing because my guy yeah. fills every inch of yeah. the of the net, and then eventually
2: yeah. you score one. And
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I could put a high school out there, and eventually he'll score on an NHL class goalie if we go like five hours into <laughs> into yeah. penalty
1: shots. Yeah, your guy'd be all black and blue though. I don't think he'd I don't think he'd be happy.
0: that That's the one limit. I, I don't think there are. Uh, I think there are limits on the size of the. Well, pads I can tell you, you how. Having, having
1: have I actually seen the velocity with which a, a professional hockey player shoots the puck, I, I'm glad they never hit me with the puck. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like these are ballistic shots, right? You know, yeah, yeah, yep. not like our, you know regular house league guys who just you know they're they're painful too. But you know when they hit yeah, but yeah, it's a whole different game. It'd be interesting to see. So I, I was thinking, like I didn't mention it last week, but uh, the Seattle Slytherin. How about that? The, 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 to go with the, the, a, a hockey name? And yeah. Branding on it. Like a sort of S for a snake, like it looked like a snake or whatever. So I just thought, immediately thought of the Seattle Slytherin or whatever.
0: It's not unheard of because the Anaheim Ducks yeah. came out because I think Disney owned a team or through some time, Yeah, yeah. And they had the Mighty Ducks franchise, movie but franchise.
2: But Seattle has no connection to Harry Potter though, right? That's true. I, don't, I don't think we do. How about the Seattle Hendr- Hendrix is Softs from Seattle, with an apostrophe? Seattle what? Softs with apostrophe Softs, short for Microsofts.
1: <laughs> the Starbucks. How about the Starbucks? <laughs> The Seattle Bucks, Bucks, the Seattle Bucks. Yeah, yeah. The Zons for Amazons. Yeah. Well, Hen- Hendrix was from Seattle too, right? So, mm-hmm.
0: Ooh, could we do a music one, a music related one? Yeah, the Seattle rock or something. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. people did suggest the grunge, I'm largely thinking of Pearl Jam. Oh, true. And, yeah, um, the grunge. Yeah, uh, Nirvana.
1: Yeah. Well, also, isn't Pearl Jam from up there somewhere? That was the first one I said. Oh, Pearl Jam. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Pearl or Jam
0: or and Nirvana, rain, Seattle Rain. The yeah, If you spelled it as Rain, the liquid um, yeah, right. weather phenomenon. Maybe, but there is oh, an existing reign which is rain like sovereign or mm. royalty ruling, and it's r e i n. Yeah.
2: Wait, there's a team called
0: that? No, no, not 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 that rain, because that's a good point, Tim. Not rain like you would have on a horse, but but um yeah, well, but like a king rain, having rain. King's
1: reign, reign is r e i n as well. I thought it was yeah. r e i g n. Oh, maybe, maybe. So, yeah, the, I don't the know.
2: horse reign is r e i n. Spelling and math. The, the king reign is r e i g n, and okay. the water yeah. is r a i n.
0: Yeah. I think that's our uh, NWSL women's um, soccer team, professional soccer team, is the, the rain, I think. Uh, we have the storm for WNBA. So it's really, we'd have to come up with like a Cloud City related one, like mm-hmm. the Landos or something. The Best
1: Bins, yeah. Yeah, the Best Bins. <laughs> the Seattle Best Bin.
0: The Seattle Needle, like for the yeah, space. Yeah, we team. do have
1: the Space Needle. But well, you have a gray sky, right? So Seattle Grays. So go, going in the
0: uh, in the tradition of like the Syracuse Orange, who were the, the Orange men for a very long time, and they made it more gender inclusive by calling it the the orange and they have an orange. I don't know what he has like a golf ball or something. I don't know what he, an orange sphere is their, is. their mascot.
1: You can't do that because of the the other guy, the the guy from
0: Philadelphia. Oh man, the gritty. I really hope we get something crazy like gritty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm jealous of Philadelphia for having this crazy <laughs> mascot that they hated, and then everybody made fun of him, and yeah. they circled the wagons and unified as a tribe and said,
1: "Screw you, world. He's one of ours. Yeah. You don't say nothing about him. We love him now." Yeah. I bumped into Carlton downtown a couple. of weeks ago carlton the bear trying to make release that the mascot yeah yeah. Hmm. but carlton is the name of the road that the maple leaf gardens used to be on so 60 carlton was the address and so his number is 60 and his name is carlton i pointed at him too and he pointed at me back for greg (laughs) yeah all right are we done i think we're done gentlemen
2: hi
0: i'm daniel founder of pretty litter